baptism. Specifically, tonight we are looking at how baptism is our, our outward expression of an inward reality. Our outward expression of an inward reality. Have you ever been just on a hot day outside and you're just walking and you're like, you're walking the track. How many of you do track? Anybody do track run? No? Play soccer. Some soccer players. Track. Okay. You ever just been outside? Like when we were in New Orleans last year, hey, preview, you already signed up. <laughs> It's hot. It's hot. And so I remember at New Orleans how hot it was. And I was so parched. You know what parched means? Okay, I was thirsty. Here's the thing. I was thirsty. I wanted a cold drink. I don't want just warm water. When it's hot, you don't want warm water, right? 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 You don't want warm water. Okay. So you're, I, I just remember like walking, being so hot, and then it's lunchtime. We have this picnic area. We had bottled waters. Here's the thing about the bottled waters. It tastes like freaking chlorine. Yes. But some of them were warm. Some of them were cold. You, you probably know this from experience. A cold bottle of water has something on the outside of it. It's like collecting something. What's it collecting? Condensation. Condensation, okay? Now, I'm going to be honest. This is a terrible illustration. <laughs> the condensation, the outward reality of the water bottle, with that condensation forming, gives you an indication about the inward reality that's inside. And that means it's cold water. Wet, huh? It's not warm water. Warm water doesn't condensate. Cold water does. And so you're really thirsty like I was really thirsty in New Orleans. See a bottle of water on the, on the picnic table. Oh, man, there's condensation on that thing. I'm going to grab it. I'm going to drink it. So while that's a silly illustration, it kind of shows you that when we're looking at baptism... <laughs> And you go in the water, you come out soaking wet. It's supposed to be some type of condensation on your body indicating that something refreshing has happened in your soul. Okay? It's something that is supposed to have happened in you. So we're going to look at some scriptures. We're going to look at a bunch, but I'm going to breeze through it real quick. And I'm going to try to be as accurate as I can regarding what we're talking about. This is Acts 2.36. This is Peter. He's given a sermon He's telling people about Jesus and how they crucified him, the Jewish people. And this is how he ends it. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. That's us. We're the far off ones. We weren't anybody. Was anybody there to hear this? I, I didn't think so. We're the far off ones. He says it's for all whom the Lord our God will call. 
That's a promise for anyone who hears the gospel about Jesus, who Jesus is, and is invited. They can have this. Next, from uh, fast-forwarding in it, all the way to chapter 10. This is Peter preaching a gospel sermon to a bunch of not-Jews. We call them Gentiles. Gentile means not Jewish. Okay? So two different groups of people receive the same gospel. He says in verse, it says in verse 42, Peter commanded, or excuse me, Peter speaking, Jesus commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he, Jesus, is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Oh, praise God. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. Wow. I, I would love for that to happen right now. I, I want the Holy Spirit to just come down right now on you as I'm talking. I also hope you hear me. <laughs> Verse 45, the circumcised, meaning the Jewish people, those believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they had heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Essentially just like, they're just having a worship service. Okay? They're just having a worship service. We can talk about tongues at another time. But the Spirit enabled them to love God and praise Him. And then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of them being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them a few days. So to summarize what we're talking about, here is a statement. Baptism is our obedient, I know people don't like that word, obedient outward expression of faith in Christ, repentance of sin and receiving of the Holy Spirit. Baptism is our obedient, meaning we're called to do it, we're told to do it. Outward expression, it's something people see outside of us. They, see, they can't see our souls, but they see the outside. This expression of faith in Christ, meaning you trust in Jesus, like you really trust in Him. Repentance means turning around, turning from your sin, and then you receiving the Holy Spirit. That's what baptism is meant to express and show people. All the things that happen on the inside, all the things that happen on the inside of you are special to you and, be, and between you and God. But it's also supposed to be seen by other people. And so we're going to start by talking about the inward realities that we see here. Inward realities. Everybody say inward Inward. Okay, when you, when you are baptized in the name of Jesus, you are declaring three things are true for you, things that have happened inside. The first thing, in baptism you are declaring, I have faith in Jesus Christ. I have faith in Jesus Christ. I want you to listen to what Peter says again in that sermon. In both of these sermons, actually. He says, therefore, let all Israel be sure, assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. 
Lord and Messiah. Next, we're going to fast forward to chapter 10. He says, Jesus commanded us to preach, testify that God appointed him as judge over the living and the dead. Okay. So from these two verses, we see that Jesus is, number one, Lord. Or like master. He's like this, he's this one that deserves your obedience, my obedience. Next, he's Messiah, meaning that's their word for rightful king. Messiah means anointed one. And you know how they tell if a king's real or not? Or how they would indicate that this is a real king? They get a bunch of oil. You might know this? What would they do with the oil? Right. They would anoint that king with oil, indicating that God has set this person apart to be our king. And so when he says Messiah, he's saying Jesus is the Messiah who is rightful king over all. And then it says he's the judge. That means he is the definer and sustainer of all truth. He's the one who judges actions. He's the one who judges what's true. He's also the one who defines what an action is. And he's also the one who has the right to say if an action is evil or good. That's who Jesus is. And when you get baptized, you're saying, I believe all this. Baptism is your, baptism is your outward declaration that you truly believe these things about Jesus and that you are committed to building your life on them. That's why I wanted to be baptized. When they were calling people in the water, come get baptized. Pastor Scott looked at me and he's like, who are you? I said, I'm Pastor Caleb. No, I didn't. I went to pastor. You don't like that joke? Gosh, cheer up. What is wrong with y'all? I'm just kidding. I said, I'm Caleb. I didn't, he didn't know me from you. I just knew when I wanted to get in that water, I had a reason for it. Because I believed everything I had read about Jesus. And I wanted to identify with him. I wanted people to know, I believe Jesus is my Lord. He's my king. He's my judge. So this is what you are saying if you're to be baptized. Next, in baptism, you're declaring, I repent of my sin. I'm not yelling at you. You all right? I scared you. <laughs> you're saying, I repent of my sin. What did I say repent means? Confess. To turn. Away. turn. Uh, Confession is a part of it, though. You confess it because you're saying, I don't like this. I don't want this. But to repent of your sin means you turn away. Look at how we see this when Peter preached. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. That's indicating that the first thing happened. They believed Peter when he said, Jesus is the Messiah. They believed it. And they were like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, what do I do? What do we do? And Peter said, repent! <laughs> like those screaming preachers. There's a screaming preacher at Western right now. And um, he doesn't talk about this in a very loving way. You know, I, I don't know his heart, but I know, I know the gospel does call people to repent. I know that's true. Um, he might not be the nicest guy about it, but some of what he says is true. Not all of what he says is true, though. But Peter says, hey, you're really cutting the heart. Like, if you're in this room, 
and God's doing a work on your heart and you see Jesus for who he is and you see your sin for how destructive it is, turn from the sin and go to Jesus. Just get rid of the sin. Be like, I don't want that anymore. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to steal anymore. I don't want to get drunk anymore. I don't want to think about nasty things anymore. I don't want to cuss at my mom or my friends anymore. I don't want to say cruel things about other people. Emily, you got a problem with the cussing thing? No. You were smiling. I'm sorry. I hope I didn't embarrass you. She doesn't. I don't cuss. Praise God. Yeah. So here's the deal. Like, guys, when you're being baptized, you're saying like, let, oh, I've got a great illustration. I think it's great. Who wants to help me? Who wants to help me? I need a boy. Read. I need a boy because I don't want to hold a girl's hand. Pretend Otto's walking on the track at whatever school you're at, okay? Otto's walking on the track. This is the reality everyone is born into. I hope you're paying attention. This is the reality everyone is, pay is born into. I need another person. You want to help? No? Alex, you want to help? Come here, Alex. Yes, Alex is the perfect person for this. You, you might cringe when I tell you what your part you're playing. Okay. Otto is just normal Otto, cool dude. And he's walking down the track. But here's the deal. He's born He's born walking. All right, you're going to have to hold my hand. You okay? All right, let's. I'm in front of him. Just look at me. I'm in front. I know. I'm in front. We're walking together, and I'm leading him. Otto, sin. Okay. We're walking. We're walking. Now get in front of us. Go, go. All right. Scoot over this way. All right. I'm in front of you. Look at me, though. Look at me, okay? You're like following me. We're walking together. We're best buds. Okay. Jesus. Jesus. This is what happens when the gospel's preached to you. Jesus walks up. Now, Otto, look at him. You see how awesome he is. And you're, okay, we're kind of paused here for a minute. You're a guy, like, look at me. Look at me. Now look at him. Look at me. Look at him. That looks a lot better, right? Right? Stop it. So, so then what happens is as Jesus starts passing, he grabs, he, Jesus grabs Otto's hand from me, turns him around, and they start walking that way. But wait. Stop. You gotta understand this part. Y'all still hold hands. Okay. <laughs> Alright. Jesus is in front. Otto's following Jesus' eyes. But guess what sin does? Hey Otto. You wanna hang out? Keep but you say keep looking at me. Keep looking at me. Hey bro, you wanna you wanna you wanna hang out? Hey come on. But here's the deal. Sometimes alright, you can go sit down. Give my hand up. 
All right. I'm having flashbacks to my conversion. The night I got saved was a night after I had just gotten drunk and tried getting with a girl. And I, I came home and I read about Jesus. I read the Gospel of Matthew. And Jesus crossed my path. And he took my hand and he turned me around. And ever since then, sin has been chasing after me. Saying, hey, Caleb, you want to hang out? You want to hang out? And you know what happens? I'm still following Jesus. I'm holding Jesus' hand. I'm following him. But every time I look back, I trip. But Jesus lifts me up. No, come on. No, come on. I'm going to take you. That's what repentance is. Being baptized means that you have crossed paths with Jesus. He has grabbed your hand and he's turned you around and you're no longer looking at your sin because your eyes are on Jesus, but you still get tripped up sometimes. Okay? When you are baptized, you are declaring, this has happened to me. It's happened to me. Look at what Jesus says. And I'm going to be honest with you, this is painful. Hear this, though. Jesus says this in Mark. He called the crowd to him and along with his disciples, and he said, whoever ever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying sin looks good to you. And when you say no to sin, you in, in reality are saying no to, to who you really think you are at the time. People think they're transgender. If they want to say yes to Jesus, they have to say no to what they think is true about them. Same goes with homosexuality. Same goes with heterosexual people messing around. When the moment comes and you meet Jesus face to face and he grabs your hand, there's going to be a part of you that feels like it's dying and guess what? It is dying. It's dying on the cross of Christ in that moment. He says, take up the cross, follow me, Jesus says. People think the cost of following Jesus is too high when they believe the cost is more valuable than he is. So when you're at face to face and Jesus is trying to grab your hand, if you resist him because you think it doesn't cost as much, it's actually like, think of Otto looking at me. Otto would have, if he had said no to Jesus and said yes to me, it would have been because he thinks the sin is better. Cost of giving that up for that is not worth it. Doesn't quite get the value of Jesus. But let me read you a quote I, I read. I don't usually read quotes to you because you're kids, but everyone has a cost. It's the same for us all. Whoever I am, same for us all. Whoever I am to deny myself, take up my cross and follow him. Denying yourself does not mean tweaking your behavior here and there. It's saying no to your deepest sense of who you are for the sake of Christ. Ever since I have been open, this is not me speaking, this person, ever since I've been open about my own experience of homosexuality, a number of Christians have said something like this, the gospel must be harder for you than it is for me, as though I have more to give up than they do. 
But the fact is that the gospel demands everything of all of us. If someone thinks the gospel has somehow slotted into their life quite easily without causing any major adjustments to their lifestyle, their aspirations, it's likely they have not even really started following Jesus. That's the reality. I mean, Jesus grabs your hand and he turns you around. People think the cost of following Jesus is too high when they believe the cost is more valuable than he is. So, when you get baptized, you're saying, I repent of my sin. Jesus is better than my sin. I want Jesus, not my sin. All right, and then the last thing, in baptism you are declaring, I receive, duh. Everybody go, duh. 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 I receive, duh, the Holy Spirit. Receive, duh, the Holy Spirit. All right. Let me just explain. This is, I, I hope this makes sense, and I hope all the parents listening right now don't accuse me of heresy when I say this. Receive or received. Why am I saying both? I receive the Holy Spirit. I received the Holy Spirit, past tense, or it happens in the moment. Look at what happens to the uh, Jewish believers when they, when they hear. What does Peter say? He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the Holy Spirit. So here, Peter says to the Jewish believers that they received the Spirit after they obeyed with baptism. That's interesting. That's really weird. You know people are really confused by this. Why? Because... With the non-Jewish believers, they received the Holy Spirit before they obeyed with baptism. It says, Peter was still speaking these words and the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. Like something different happened there. But here's the point. Whether received or receiving in the moment of baptism, God gave the Holy Spirit in the order that each group needed. So, I'm just going to quickly say this. For the Jewish people in chapter 2, baptism was probably a part of, it was probably a part of their faith and repentance. Meaning, their faith and repentance were not going to be complete until they followed through with baptism. I, I don't quite understand why, but Maybe they would receive the Holy Spirit and forgiveness of sin upon completing their faith and repentance through baptism. Now for the Gentile believers, baptism was probably not necessary to complete their faith and repentance because they received the Holy Spirit and forgiveness of sin when they heard the gospel because their faith and repentance was complete then. Here's, here's what I probably think happened. The, the Jews were entrenched in God's covenant with Moses and they had the sign of circumcision and that's why he keeps calling them the circumcision they had that sign and for Peter to preach forgiveness of sin by a new sign was really calling them on whether or not they were going to confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead so all this to say 
You can't manipulate the Holy Spirit. You cannot trick him. There's people in the New Testament that try to trick the Spirit. They go, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. And then they see the Spirit doing miracles and they're like, hey, I'll give you money to give me that. And you know what happens? Peter rebukes them and says, you better turn. You better repent. You cannot trick the Holy Spirit. There might be someone in this room where there is something for you that God knows has, has to like be manifested in your heart and in your hands. Sometimes your heart have to meet your hands. But only God knows your heart and need. He knew what the Jews needed to hear and what they needed to, how they needed to act on it. He knew what the Gentiles needed to hear and how to act. But someone here may understand the gospel in your brain, but you've been unwilling to completely repent or surrender to Jesus in order to have him transform your heart. That might be you. Your repentance is only word of mouth. It's only word of mouth. And you got the head, you got the head knowledge. And if that's you in this room, maybe you haven't seen the life change that you want from the Holy Spirit working in you because the Holy Spirit isn't in you. Does that make sense? Okay? Because the Holy Spirit comes in and transforms. He turns people who love sin into people who love praising God like he did with the Gentiles. So maybe someone in their baptism might be expressing that you by faith believe that your faith and repentance is working with the Holy Spirit to refresh you and renew you and work in you. I think that's what happened with the Jewish people. Maybe your next step of real transformation for it to actually be like faith and repentance, I have no idea. It could be going forward with baptism. Like, that's your thing. This is my, I'm really, I'm, I'm serious. I'm no longer, you know, so many people just resist being baptized. And all the while they stay in their, bitterness and their frustration and they're like no i don't need to be baptized boo i've met people like this and I, it's so hard because you see you see the head knowledge and you just kind of wonder what's really going on in your heart i don't think god wants any of us to be like that so anyway i'm not saying you will be saved by being baptized what i'm saying is that if there is any type of resistance in you from identifying with Christ, that's not a good sign. That's not a good sign. So, all right. I feel like I've confused you, but that's okay. All right, let's look at obedient outward expression real quick, and then we'll be done. Baptism resembles Jesus' submersion into sin and death. This is why maybe God chose baptism as our sign. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried, he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. When we baptize people, sometimes we say buried with Christ, raised to new life. See, Jesus submerged himself in our sin, died for our sin, was in the ground, and then he was resurrected from the dead and came out of the tomb. You see how it kind of resembles what Jesus did? Okay, so... Baptism resembles Jesus' submersion into death and, 
into sin and death. Next, baptism resembles your death to sin and life in Jesus. We were therefore buried with Christ through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we may too live in a new life. So it resembles your death to sin and life in Jesus. So rather than picturing Jesus going down into the water or death, dying and then raising from the dead, you're picked, it's like a symbol of you dying to your sin. Did someone laugh? No. Dying to your sin and then coming out and living a life to God. So it resembles your death to sin and life in Jesus. And then lastly, baptism resembles your Holy Spirit baptism that washed you. And I love this. It washed and renewed you. Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral or idolaters, adulterers, men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Holy cow. I can tell you I'm an idolater. Jesus said if you lust after a woman in your head, you've committed adultery in your heart. Like, I'm pretty greedy. I've stolen things. When I was a kid, I stole answers from other people on quizzes. I've gotten drunk. I've slandered some people. Meaning, talk ill about you. Anytime you say something that's cruel or mean, maybe even untrue about someone to someone else, and it reforms that person's opinion about them, that is slander. That's what slander is. So if I've done that, and I'm going to be honest, I've probably done some of these in the last week. They will never inherit the kingdom of God. Okay. Wow, now what, Paul? And that is what some of you were. Notice he doesn't say some of you were doing before. He's saying this was your identity before. No, it's not anymore. You, because you were washed, you were sanctified, meaning you were made holy. You were justified. Now God looks as if at you just as if you never sinned. All in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And baptism resembles what the Holy Spirit did here to make you so you're not that anymore. What does water do when you submerge something into it? Who said washes? Of course. The preacher's wife. Everybody say it washes. Washes. If you run a dishwasher without water, guess what? It's going to be dirty. It's probably covered in soap. Maybe. You can get pretty far with soap, though. Well, you still need water because you don't want to drink the soap later. Nice. Yeah. So here's the yeah, point. Water. 